You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Tonight we're going to get into a weird topic that is surprisingly scholarly. Uh, I feel like when I first heard about this, I was like, these are the kind of things that crazy Pentecostals say where you <laughs> come across like some passage in the Bible and you just blow it out of proportion. But actually, if you pay really close to the scriptures and you look at uh, uh, what they're indicating and you look at what even like theologians and scholars will say, a lot of them will look at this and say like, look, I know it sounds crazy, but... I agree that this is what the Bible is trying to tell us. So Jesus throughout the Bible, of course, we know him in the New Testament. Today, I want to take a look into the whole Bible, Old Testament and New, and see if we find him in some places that are rather unexpected. A lot of scripture. I'll try to move quickly through it. Uh, But the first thing, uh, one of the things that caught my attention when I was reading the Bible for the first time is a story in Genesis 18. Maybe you know this story. Abraham's just like sitting outside his tent when all of a sudden Yahweh walks up to him. I remember reading that and I was like, hold up. (laughs) That's not how this works. The Bible says that if you saw God face to face, you would die. And yet the Lord, and that's in in your Bibles, it would be capital L-O-R-D. If you ever come across capital L-O-R-D in your Bible, that means Yahweh. It's just... uh, um, the Hebrews never wanted to write that down because that's God's personal name. So as a way of, of trying to kind of cover it and imply you all know we mean Yahweh, they would instead just write, uh, as we translate, capital L-O-R-D. For them, uh, it would have been you know Hebrew. But um, that's what it's implying here. And the Lord and Yahweh appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And it seems that one of these men is God, Yahweh, just right in front of him. It, it, that always confused me when I was a kid because I was like, okay, so why is Abraham still alive? <laughs> like, you see God, you're dead. That's, the Bible is pretty clear about that. Uh, but for whatever reason, these three men, which later we're going to see are angels going to Sodom and Gomorrah to see investigate, see if this place needs to um, uh, face judgment because of all of its sin or not. This is a story in which God and these angels just kind of walk up to Abraham. So that always caught my attention. And there's a few places in the Bible where you just see these weird moments where it's like Yahweh just appears. But it's, it, I thought it was rare until I started to notice this. When I see angels throughout the Bible... For me, it was just always like, man, there's a lot of angels showing up all throughout the Old Testament. But if you pay close attention, you'll actually realize there is a specific angel who shows up a lot in the Old Testament. One that is, is talked about in a different light than all the other angels. And your Bible will be the angel of the capital L-O-R-D. So the angel of Yahweh. And it's the angel of Yahweh. It's not just an angel of the Lord, an angel of Yahweh. It's the angel of Yahweh. And when this guy shows up, he's treated differently than the other angels. He he does things that make us uncomfortable. 
Uh, for example, he runs into Hagar. And if you pay close attention to the wording, things get confused. Is this angel an angel or is he God? Because he's talking as though he is God. So, for example, the angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for multitude. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Like the language that's being used kind of gets swapped as though this angel was God, as though Hagar ran into God in the wilderness, but at the same time, it wasn't God. It was the angel of the Lord. When the angel of the Lord shows up, I think like 65 times in the Old Testament, you constantly kind of come across this language. I, I don't have time to go over all the passages, so I'm just choosing a few. Uh, when you have Abraham, he's about to kill his son. It's not just an angel that stops him. It's the angel of the Lord again. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. <laughs> By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. So again, like there's moments where like, well, no, it's God giving a message through the angel. But then there's moments where it's like, it seems as though the angel's like saying himself that he's the one doing this. Uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to, oh, this is interesting. Moses runs into the fiery bush. No one ever pays attention to. It's not just a bush on fire. It's the angel of the Lord inside of a fiery bush. This is the moment where we hear God's name, where Moses is like, what's your name? He's like, Yahweh, I am who I am. It wasn't just a bush talking to him. It's the angel of the Lord revealing God's name. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of fire in the midst of the bush. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, God called to him out of the bush. God called to him out of the bush. But who's in the bush? It's the angel. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. <laughs> Again, the like if you were a good Hebrew who treated the name Lord with respect and you didn't want to accidentally like say God's name out loud, then you're not going to try to be this sloppy every single time with your language when you're talking about the angel of the Lord. They're actually, I think, trying to imply to you there's a spiritual being we call him the angel of Yahweh, who is God but isn't God. And when you come in contact with a physical being in the Old Testament, that's just Yahweh, you just run into Yahweh, they're trying to imply like, this is the angel of the Lord. This is where the Trinity comes from. This is Jewish Trinity, except they only really had two at the time. Binantarianism is what it's called. They believe that there was God who you can't see, but then all throughout the Old Testament, there's the God that you can see who shows up in another form. It's God in two different ways. You actually find this teaching throughout history, but it was ditched when Christians made up the Trinity. <laughs> Why? 
Well, because they didn't want, no, 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 don't you take our theology and, and bring Jesus into that. And we're not trying to say like any of that. God's just one. There's only one God. There's, there's no binitarianism. So it was kind of ditched at that point uh, because the Trinity started to be a, a, something that Christians were teaching. But you come across this time and time again, this physical being who is a spiritual being who is, in fact, God, but also isn't God in the sense that if you saw him, you would die. Uh, Judges has a lost. Actually, in uh, let me say Joshua because I didn't put it in here. There's a moment in Joshua where Joshua worships the angel of the Lord. You remember in Revelation when John tries to worship an angel? The angel's like, hey, don't do that. That's a don't know. Like, that's bad. Don't, don't worship me. I'm just here helping God. Yet when Joshua worships the angel of the Lord, the Bible writes about this being an acceptable thing to do, that this angel could be worshiped. Why? Because again, they're trying to imply like this is God in physical form showing up. Judges 2, 1 through 2. Uh, judges, you really see this uh, story of this angel um, Kind of, kind of growing, and the story of Samson, which is a crazy story. I know, like, <laughs> too bad Tyler's not here. I know he loves that story for some reason. Um, but one of the weirder parts of the Samson story is Samson's parents, when the angel of the Lord starts telling them that they're going to have a baby. Here's what happens: uh, and the angel of the Lord went up to Gilgal and Bochim. Oh, sorry, this isn't that story. Uh, let me go to. Next one. Yes. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman, Samson's mom, and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. The child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God, just in the same way Abraham came across this man, right? A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. <laughs> that needs to just be a shirt. Just quote. Very awesome. Judges. <laughs> I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. Then Manoah, which is Samson's dad, prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? That's how you dress your spouse back then, I guess. And he said, I am. And I don't know if that's a reference to Yahweh. I didn't look into it, but I am who I am is what Yahweh means. Jesus uses that in the gospel. When people ask him who he is, sometimes he'd be like, I am. And that's him saying like, Yahweh, right? Uh, and he said, I am. And Manoah said, now when your words come true, what is this child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will 
not eat of your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. So this is just very strange. They're talking to a physical being who they would call a man of God, but very awesome, like a very specific man of God, like the angel of the Lord, but also just the angel of God. Who is this guy? And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And I love this. The angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. <laughs> so Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up towards heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Again, if you're just thinking this is some dude in front of you and he's like, be very confusing. Now, Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. So they seemed to be worshiping. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. Again, a good Hebrew, if they did not want to imply that this angel is God in physical form, would not say bad grammatical things like this, because that's... Very confusing. And they certainly wouldn't do it over and over and over again because it's very easy to imply at this point. But they're afraid they're going to die because they've seen God. And when you see God, you die. But they know that this was the angel of the Lord, this very specific angel. In fact, they knew about a very specific angel, right? Like they're like, I think this is just an angel, but he seems like that guy, that angel. Uh, Gideon does the same thing with the angel of the Lord after he makes a sacrifice. Um, after the angel of the Lord leaves, Gideon is told by God, he says, peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. Again, it's a simplication, like you think you've seen God, but it's okay, you're, you're going to live. Uh, you have that story where Jacob wrestles with a man, but the man is actually God, that weird story. Like this again... There's this implication that this man is wrestling with this physical being who is God but isn't God in a trinity kind of sense to it. Uh, and interestingly, Jacob asked him, please tell me your name, just like, like uh, um, Samson's parents did, right? And he doesn't answer. He's like, why is it you asked my name? So this is like another characteristic about this angel. I always want to be like, I just hear all the sci-fi movies in my head, like, you could not pronounce it in your tongue or something like that. You know, like, he never tells them. Or I'm always waiting, like, since we have the New Testament, I'm always, like, in my mind, he's like, he wants to say Jesus, <laughs> but he's not. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face. But how do you see God face to face? You can't, but you can through the angel of the Lord. It's not always the name of the angel of the Lord, right? When we saw Abraham, he just ran into Yahweh. Didn't even say it was the angel of the Lord, though we know it's got to be the same guy. If you go to Jeremiah, sometimes it's called the word of the Lord. The prophets talk about the word of the Lord coming to them. I think sometimes they mean that this was a physical being that came to them. Why? Jeremiah 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to a prophet to the nations. And then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. It was the word of the Lord that showed up. How is the word of the Lord touching his mouth all of a sudden? 
I think the word of the Lord is, is this physical being who is God. And you see that happen, right? Here's the cool thing that the New Testament does. It, I think it wants you to realize that that being is Jesus. John is, John's always the most boisterous about it, starting his entire gospel off with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. When you're thinking like I usually do, or thinking like, ah, yes, at the beginning, God spoke words and life was created. But we just saw that the word in the Old Testament was a physical being who showed up. So John's like, you know the word? That was God. And I'm telling you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I think what John is trying to tell us is that physical being the word, who was God all throughout the Old Testament, he put on flesh and we called him Jesus and he lived among us. He did show up in the Old Testament as something that looked like a man, but obviously he wasn't human human because he wasn't born of human flesh. The new thing that happens in the New Testament is John is telling us that being that always was God subjected himself now fully to human flesh. Yes, he's a spiritual being, but now he's completely human. This is where you get this idea throughout the Bible that Jesus was fully man, fully God. Yes, this is a spiritual being that was fully God, but now he set aside everything that would make him God to become fully human. That's hard for a lot of people because they're like, well, he still had supernatural power everywhere he went. So obviously he was doing God things. No, if you look throughout the Old Testament, plenty of the supernatural things Jesus did, Old Testament prophets did as well. How? Because they had the Holy Spirit's power on them. So Jesus didn't do supernatural things because he was God. Jesus did supernatural things because though he was God, he set all that aside, became fully human, and then was empowered by the Holy Spirit, just like all these other humans, and then did supernatural miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why reveal for me is so important. It's because it's teaching us. Jesus told us to continue doing those kinds of things as ministry to, the, to those around us. And so we need to be empowered with the same Holy Spirit to, to do those kinds of things. Okay, so now we're seeing these connections. John's like, the word that we know in the Old Testament, he became flesh. We see it elsewhere, too. Uh, still sticking with John, okay? So remember that John thinks that the, uh, the word of God in the Old Testament is flesh. Here's a funny story that I never took seriously in John. Uh, Jesus is preaching at one point, and he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And for me, I'm just thinking like, that's metaphorical, right? He's just referring to like, Abraham was given a promise and he rejoiced that one day this would happen. But that's not the way the audience perceived it. They say, you're not 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. They think that he's saying like, I was alive back then. That's the way the audience takes it. And Jesus doesn't say, no, no, guys, you misunderstand. I was talking metaphorically. Instead, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, which is Yahweh. I am who I am. So Jesus right there, before Abraham was, I was already around because I'm Yahweh. <laughs> like you can imagine why they wanted to stone him at that point. <laughs> That's the very next line is that they wanted to pretty much kill him after that. 
What is he talking about, though? Why is he saying, like, I was there? Well, if you go into uh, where Abraham was made the promise that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars, do you know who told him that? It was the word of God. (laughs) So Jesus is like, yeah, I talked to Abraham. John's like trying to make the link. Like the word of God talked to Abraham. This is Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, I hung out with him back then. And he was really excited for this to happen. And y'all are just pooping on it. You know, like <laughs> more or less what he's, he's going with. Uh, but you see the gospel writers take like all the times where, where there seemed to be this physical being. And, and they sit where there's this physical Old Testament version of God. And they start making references to them too. In Proverbs, there's a being called Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom. Uh, who apparently helped God create the world. That sounds like polytheism. That doesn't feel right at all, right? But that's not what's going on here. Uh, It says, The Lord possessed me, Lady Wisdom is who it's referring to, at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. So it's talking about how God had wisdom. Why is wisdom a lady in this? It's because wisdom is a feminine word in Hebrew. So you wouldn't say, like, manly wisdom because it's like if you ever learn Spanish, you know you have to put la or l before words because it's masculine and feminine. It's the same with this. Wisdom is a being, therefore she must be a lady because wisdom is feminine in the Hebrew language. But apparently it it helped God create the world. Well, the New Testament writers talk about that being Jesus, actually. Because at one point, Luke says, Therefore, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles. Some of them they will kill and persecute. Apparently, that wasn't specific enough for Matthew because the gospel writers like to retell other people's gospels, but then add new light to it. So here, Luke is like, Jesus said, Therefore, the wisdom of God said. When Luke rewrites that, he says, Therefore, I send you prophets. In other words, like if you were to compare the two side by side and this one, it's wisdom sent it. And this one, Jesus is like, I sent it. So the gospel writers are picking back off of one another, saying like Jesus is wisdom. Hebrews also uses a very specific Greek word to refer to um, Jesus being lady wisdom. We won't get into that, but uh, there's another example there. You further see Jesus being this spiritual being uh, when you get to the transfiguration. This was a story that always weirded me out. How are you even supposed to explain this, what's going on here? But if you pay close attention to the way that people thought back then, here's what you see. Jesus goes up on a mountain. Suddenly he's transfigured before everyone. His face shines like the sun. His clothes become bright as white or white as light. And those are all um, symbols in old thinking of what a spiritual being looked like. Uh, Daniel 10, 6, Revelation, 4 Ezra, Apocalypse of Zephaniah, 2nd Enoch. Those are all references to how heavenly beings have shiny faces. Uh, Likewise, Daniel, Luke, Revelation, 1st Enoch, 2nd Enoch, 2nd Maccabee, Pseudophilo, 4 Ezra are about how uh, heavenly beings have these, these white clothes. And if you've been paying attention to some of the things that I've been talking about in our Revelation series. The Bible talks about how one day we too will shine and put on these kind of shiny bodies and shiny clothes 
because we're the replacement of the divine counsel of the sons of God. We're the new sons of God, right? So, uh, hang on, I only got a few more slides. Um, one of the things that's difficult for me in all this, though, is because we've been talking about the divine counsel, and they're all called sons of God. That's weird for me, because who is Jesus? The Son of God. And, like, that's common Christian teaching. Like, we don't even stop to think about that. But if we're paying attention to the whole Old Testament, we're like, how is Jesus the Son of God? (laughs) If, like, we know all throughout the Old Testament there were a whole lot of sons of God, uh, what do we do with that? And what is the Bible trying to say when they say that? Well, here's something in a passage that we say all the time, John 3, 16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, uh, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The way that we used to think that we had to interpret the Greek for only son was like begotten, God's only begotten son. There's this only one. But as we've done more research, we realize that the way to interpret only, uh, it's he gave his own monogenes son. It's Greek. And what it means is that Jesus is his one of a kind or unique son. In other words, like this isn't, there, we, we know from the Old Testament that there were plenty of beings called the sons of God, but Jesus is one of a kind. He's unique. Why is he unique? Why is he one of a kind? Well, because unlike all the other angels, this is the angel of Yahweh. Unlike all the other sons, this is the son who is Yahweh. There's something very different about Jesus. And by the way, in the New Testament, there's no reference to the angel of the Lord who is a huge character in the Old Testament. He just vanishes. Why? Because in the New Testament, the angel of the Lord is known as Jesus. Like, it's a replacement plan. And especially with the Greeks, like, you don't want to confuse them. Like, oh, the angel of the Lord is Jesus. Whoa, hold up. Jesus is an angel? Well, no, that's not what I mean. He's God. Wait, God is an angel? Well, no, hang on. Like, you know, so, like, there's no reason to bring that up. There's a possibility that... Revelation maybe references the angel, but otherwise, if they do, it conflates him with Jesus. Okay, so all that being said, um, and a reminder too, uh, Amity was pointing this out to me last week, blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. We all become children of God as Christians. What does that mean? That just as there were these old sons of God who have fallen, we're the replacement plan. We're the new sons of God or daughters of God, children of God. Uh, we join Jesus. We're his uh, brother or sister in arms, if you will. We become children together. We're adopted into the family. So there's more behind that term sons of God than just like Jesus was just had that title. There's a lot of like deep biblical value to that expression. So like this is clearly thoughts has been around for a while I think it's very clearly pointed out in the Bible, and I didn't even cover all the passages that we could have covered to pretty much make this point. So, nonetheless, I think it's an interesting conversation, and it uh, illuminates the Bible in a different light, especially when you have Jesus doing things like, yeah, I talked to Abraham, what you, what you talking about? You know, like, it, it kind of adds a oomph to, to what we're supposed to pick up on. Okay.
Uh, I'll pray you out unless there's one final thing. God, uh, we just thank you um, for your son and all that he's done for us and all that he was willing to do on your behalf. Um, I think through uh, sometimes when people learn kind of these aspects of the Bible, they actually kind of devalue Jesus. The theology works the wrong way and he becomes just another angel or just another son of God. And that is not at all what is trying to be communicated. This is the angel, the son of God. He's not even an angel. He's just a, he's a spiritual being and a physical being who is, in fact, God himself. And you're the image of both worlds. You're the image of angel, the un- image of human, the image of son of God, the angel of uh, son of Adam. And that is how you live a sinless life. That is how you are fully God, fully human. That's how you redeem us. That is how uh, you, you do everything. If just anyone was killed on a cross, that wouldn't have done anything for us. But because the spiritual being who was God himself was willing to become man and hang himself on a cross, well, that... That messed up Satan's plan completely. That broke the curse of sin and death. She can't kill a sinless being. And so we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for the master plan of Jesus that all the way in Genesis 3, you prophesied you would one day uh, fix the problem. And thousands of years later, you show us just how incredibly tense this plan was and perhaps one of the most tense moments in this theological idea of the angel of the lord is with abraham abraham's right there about to kill his one and only son foreshadowing what's going to happen with jesus and now that we're thinking like this we see jesus show up right there this angel of the lord stopping a man from killing his son knowing that one day this will happen to him and it has to happen to change everything. And he witnesses the foreshadow and he sits with it for thousands of years and he still goes through with it because that's what his father's called him to do. And so we lay our lives down in the same way as you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.